Hello, welcome to Industry Reactions. Industry Reactions is a weekly briefing on industry events, changes, and future trends that impact your business. I'm your host, Rick Honer, and joining me this week is special guest, CJ Monko from Kempoint. Welcome, CJ. Hey, thanks, Rick. You can find Industry Reactions on YouTube, LinkedIn, and as a podcast. For those watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button, ring the notification bell, and smash that like button. We plan on discussing issues that impact the global industry and help you uncover new opportunities. We hope this will provide market intelligence that will keep you ahead of changing conditions. All right, so let's jump into this here with just a kind of overall look on the uh, specialty chemical markets in the U.S. right now, how things are trending. So um, looks like last month alone, there was a 0.8% growth. Um, this is pointing towards, you know, we're slowly recovering from the winter storms that affected us a couple months back. And um, even though there were different industries that, that expanded and, and some were down, it looks like uh, on a year over year basis, the uh, specialty chemical segments as a whole are up 13.3%. So that that is a good indication of the overall uh, trending recovery that, that we're seeing. And um, it looks like overall volumes are at 107.1% of above average uh, levels compared to um, last year's April. And that equates to an astonishing amount of actually 7.31 billion pounds. So we're still seeing some ups and downs, but overall it looks like the specialty chemical market is trending upwards, which is, is good to see. Yeah, I think that's that's really good. And you start seeing it in um, uh, results, some upgrades, especially in specialty chemical producers. Um, so a year over year basis, that's not a big surprise. Um, what will be interesting to see is how we do compared to 2019. Exactly. And one thing I've noticed, too, and it's not so much production of the chemicals itself that that is a hindrance in some of these segments, but it's actually um, finding things to put the chemicals in, you know, packaging. So I think these numbers might actually be understated um, based on some of the packaging shortages we've seen, so. Yeah, for sure. All right, and in a similar vein, um, petrochemical firms and refiners were hit hard just as everyone else was by the pandemic. Um, but as weather warned, vaccination spread and consumers left their homes looking to spend pandemic savings and stimulus checks. The demand for plastics, gasoline and other those products really surged. Uh, prices for commodities from oil to copper uh, to chemicals climbed steadily in, in the last couple months. That's benefited petrochemical companies and recent earnings reports have shown growth in volumes and revenues. Um, so this is really no surprise. I mean, the, the every week we were talking about this, things have continued to improve, demand is back and supply is short, probably most importantly, which means prices are skyrocketing, you know, um, and for producers, that means their earnings are lovely at this point when they were really ugly last year. Yeah, yeah, for sure makes makes up for that that dip last year. And it's interesting, you know, uh, this petrochemical um, issue, I guess, that that happened due to this freeze, you know, not only affects the overall market segments we talked about earlier, but um, it, it's really, I don't think people realized how far out the the fingers were spread when it comes to one industry and how how much it, I guess, bleeds into others and affects others as well. 
Yeah, and this is the early indicator for inflation. The CPI number was incredibly high, 4.5%, but this is the bleeding edge. You know, chemicals is where it starts. So as pricing is going up here, the rest of the market will very shortly start to see the inflationary um, pressure. Mm -hmm. And more on the the oil aspect here, um, it you know, kind of funny how the first few topics are all <laughs> central about around the uh, crude oil. But uh, on a on a positive note, the U.S. as a whole has added more than 100 oil rigs so far this year, and that brings the total oil rig count to uh, 455 U.S. operated oil refineries and rigs, and so that's uh, that really speaks to how we're doing as a nation in terms of oil and gas production. It's been steadily climbing in the recent months after bottoming out last August. And with the rollout of the vaccines and uh, local economies, you know, opening up travel, um, it's actually helping support that production because demand for the oil, um, crude oil, petroleum products like gasoline, jet fuel, that's also going up at the same time that we're increasing production. So those are some positive notes of how we're um, getting those increasing numbers across the market um, and coming out of that uh, slump that we saw last year. So that, that upward growth, it's supporting that. All right, and the next story that we're talking about is similar is uh, rail car volume. So um, during the week ending May 15th, rail car traffic volume in North America increased 16.3% year over year. Um, so that's a pretty big increase as we've been talking around, similar to the other figures. Uh, on a four-week basis, volume increased 13.5% from 2020, uh, but only up a little under 2% from 2019. So, um, you know, in short, rail volume's up year over year, but uh, still struggling on a year-to-date basis to actually achieve 2019 levels. Yeah, do you think the those numbers in terms of struggling are still being affected by the, I guess, kind of traffic jam that was caused from that freeze? Because a I lot of the rail system was shut down when that storm hit, right? Yeah, I'm sure that takes a while to, to move through the system. It was a snarl, you're right. Um, I think actually still some of the... Uh, the, the shortage in volume is from a supply standpoint because not all of that production capacity is up to 100%. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if some of that's still from supply. Mm -hmm. Kind of a hand in hand thing. Um, I guess on to the next one here. So shout out to my uh, alma mater, Washington State University. It's cool to see them uh, hopping into the R&D field and, and coming out with some innovations. Um, one of the things that they've developed it looks like they're found a way to uh, convert plastics into ingredients for jet fuel as well as other products. So this process, I guess, makes it easier to reuse plastics. Um, they were able to convert 90% of plastic to jet fuel and other hydrocarbon products within an hour. And that process is far more effective than other I guess, recycling methods across the U.S. It turns out that only about 9% of the plastic produced in the U.S. or used in the U.S. rather is recycled every year. So finding another outlet for this stuff that likely ends up in just, you know, uh, the trash, you know, garbage um, landfills or, or the oceans, it's kind of cool to see an alternate use for it and um, 
also good to see good things coming out of uh, WSU. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, for those of you that are familiar with WSU, you'll know that the real reason driving this project was trying to figure out what the heck to do with all those Dixie cups coming out of Greek row every, every week. I, I would say, all right. All right. I would say that that might have been a driving factor, but it was very low on the totem pole in terms of why they wanted to do this. I think there was a bigger picture there, but okay, I'll, I'll, hear, you, I'll hear you on that one. <laughs> All right, so into um, uh, the the food arena. So carry carry ingredients will develop um, some new uh, innovation and technology, and actually build a center for excellence in Queensland, Australia. The the facility uh, will act as the new headquarters for carry in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, while its existing facility in Sydney will re remain in place and um, house its R&D uh, applications hub. Uh, the capabilities uh, will include pilot plants, laboratories, tasting facilities, etc. And um, the, the new Australia and new New Zealand Development Application Centre in Brisbane will bring an end-to-end -end food innovation cycle under one roof. So, Pretty big uh, change in investment for Kerry. Onto a uh, different segment here, different marketplace. Um, company Henkel looks like they're investing more than $73.3 million to build an innovation center over in Shanghai, China. Um, it's going to be a massive center, over 32,000 square meters, including both um, laboratories, R&D space, and also interactive areas where uh, I guess visitors or customers can come in and kind of gain a, a more interactive experience. They, they feature something called an infinity room and um, kind of encompassing into the structure of this overall facility, some ideas behind the, the Henkel business model. Uh, one of uh, an example of that is an engineered wood staircase that embodies Henkel's commitment to sustainability and also an exhibition space that showcases their innovative technologies and specialized approach to uh, product development. So it's kind of cool to see companies when they're making these new facilities, making it more, I guess, user-friendly, customer-centric, however you'd want to state that, but a place that people would, would like to go to and, and enjoy as an experience overall, as opposed to, I guess, more older-fashioned, Here, here's our warehouse, here's our production facility, and having it be kind of, um, how things used to be, so to speak. So that's good to see. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, an infinity room. I, I was thinking about that. Maybe we should uh, m make one of those at Kim Point, but maybe have an infinity pool or something instead of a staircase, m maybe for our, our work. Yeah, maybe both. I mean, I know I could use an <laughs> infinity pool after, uh, what are they calling it, the COVID-19 yeah. that everyone's put on? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I think in the last story for today. Uh, Trinzio's in the news. They announced the sale of uh, the synthetic rubber business to Synthos of Poland for just under a half a billion dollars. Uh, the deal is expected to close in 2022. Um, Trinzio said in December it was considering the sale of the business, which primarily produces um, styrene butadiene rubber and uh, emulsion styrene butadiene rubber. So, 
Uh, Trinzio is among the world's major producers of styrene butadiene, butadiene rubber products um, with a significant position in Europe. The sale of that uh, business will also give Trinzio more flexibility to acquire more businesses and develop organic growth projects. So pretty big change for uh, the SBR arena. Was it uh, disclosed at all as to this, I guess, sale and, and acquisition on Synthios's part? Is it being driven by Trinzio wanting to focus on a different area of the rubber space? Or you know, it's, it doesn't actually talk about that. Um, I'm not sure uh, what what was driving that. I, I know that the, the trend that we've seen in, in these spaces is getting out of the more commoditized type businesses to focus on specialties. I'm not sure if that's what's in Trinzio's playbook, but um, it wouldn't be too surprising if that was the driver. Mm -hmm. I guess the overall thing here that's good to see is even through all this economic hardship and obviously the pandemic, uh, things are still happening uh, kind of in a normal sense of behind the scenes acquisitions of, of certain um, business segments and it kind of points a picture as to the whole chemical market kind of operating as normal which a lot of industries aren't able to do now which is good to see as well yeah we've been waiting with held breath basically most of last year and so it's good to see these things uh, move forward and change all right uh, that's it for this week's edition of Industry Reactions. Uh, we'll return next week with a fresh batch of new stories for you. Thanks for joining, CJ. Um, until next time, stay safe and stay sane.